Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mead. So, today, on this episode, you're going to listen to me speak with Scott Warwick. I invited him on the show because I found him extremely interested in a Zoominar that I found him talking on. Spoke for three hours, and as you'll hear me in the episode mention, I don't really ever listen to something for three and a half hours, so... With me being as interested as I was, I figured his conversation would bring interest to you. He also provided me with an article that I have on the website for you to read that tags along with what he discussed and a bit of what's in his new book. So with that being said, I want you to go to authorblurb.com. I always want you to go to authorblurb.com. At authorblurb.com, you can go and simply find the show, find the episodes that are there, Find where you can subscribe if you don't want to listen to them on my website. That's all up to you. Or you can also read articles, read profiles, find different authors. There's a search in all different types of ways to expand and utilize what I'm trying to provide you. So I appreciate you being here. I always appreciate you sharing with people about the show, telling them, reading, reviewing, so they can see that you like it. All these things, they're very helpful and like I said, I appreciate it because the more you do it, the more people find me and say, this guy is worth listening to. And it gives me a little ego boost. Hoo-hoo. So with that being said, here's Scott and I talking. I hope you enjoy it. And I have to admit, we didn't touch nearly anything of what he can go into. He has a ton of information, well worth it, well entertaining, and... Hopefully, I get to talk to him again and get more information for you. Knowing him, it looks like he's going to be putting out more books. And in doing so, there's a chance he might be on again. So with that being said, thank you for being here. Enjoy the show, and I'll talk with you soon. So I'm here with Scott Warwick. Scott, you've written two books, kind of three, but Mm -hmm. the second one just has a more interesting cover name. In as always, it's better for you, the author, to basically describe yourself and your books than it is for me to do because I'll just fumble around and sound foolish. So, Scott, if you could tell us a bit about yourself and then about your books, I would really appreciate it so we can get into finding out more about them. Yeah, no, that's great. appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I'm an HR guy. I've been a human resource guy for 40 years. And for 26 of those years, I've also been a practicing employment attorney. And my whole thing is to keep morale high and stay out of court. And and, and I'm not, you probably won't hear that from too many attorneys because I'll (laughs) tell you right now, you get a, you get a car with a peace sign on the front by suing people. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's very lucrative, but it's also absolutely horrendous for you. Okay. So, um, so you think of that background that I'm trying to prevent problems. So uh, back in 2018, I published my first book called Solve Employee Problems Before They Start. And the whole book is about emotional intelligence and resolving conflict. And I have a little system that I use uh, to resolve conflict called EPR. It's empathic listening, parroting, and rewards. So the idea is whenever you're in a conflict, you got to control yourself, which is very difficult to do, particularly for people today. Right. And start with empathic listening. You start your discussion by shutting up and say, hey, tell me what's happening. And you listen from that person's perspective. 
you then parrot everything back at once they've told you to make sure that you understand and that they know that you you got it. And then if you ever disagree with another human being, uh, we're all the same. We got the same brains. And if you just flat disagree with someone like we do today, you just called that person stupid. So if I turn around and say, you know, you're Eric, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Where'd you get that idea? That's a real good way to get a salt shaker in the head. All right. So <laughs> no, he, you ever disagree with somebody, give them a reward. You reward that person because you say something like, I see where you're coming from. And you've got a right to that opinion. You've got a right for your belief on gun control, on abortion. I mean, here's what I think, but I see where you're coming from. And you got a right for that. That builds trust. OK, so that was the first book. The second book, uh, I entitled it Tolerance and Diversity for White Guys and Other Human Beings. Now, that sort of shows my smart Alex sense of humor here. But right. I have been a tolerance and diversity presenter and trainer for over 20 years. And every diversity program, every diversity conference I've been to, and I've been to well over 20 of them in the last 20 years. And I will tell you, you can count the number of straight white guys on your hand. How many people are there? It is not the norm because most white guys don't see it as their issue. But I look at tolerance and I take it from the legal definitions of the United States Supreme Court, the EEOC, mm -hmm. uh, which actually, by the way, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for all you business owners out there now says that tolerance and conflict resolution have to be part of your harassment training. And that was in 2016. A lot of people don't do that. Tolerance means I'm not going to pick on you because you're different. I'm not going to pick on you because you disagree with me. I'm not going to pick on you because you're transgender. I'm not. The whole thing is, is it is it safe to come to work? Is it safe to sit there and disagree with someone on some highly emotional topic? And the answer to that today is no. Seventy five percent of all Americans say they are miserable. They hate their job, okay? So that was the second book, and it's all about building a tolerant workplace. The third book, which is coming out sometime between Halloween and Thanksgiving, is on healing the human brain. You see, actually, the three books are a trilogy, and no right. one's going to buy a 750-page <clears throat> Nobody's going to want right. to read it. I wouldn't. No. Um, yeah, it's like sitting down with war and peace, right? But right. the whole thing is if you don't do what's in the first two books, you will develop mental impairments. And it's all about my trip. I, I was diagnosed and had a nuclear spec scan in 2008, and I had raging post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD is typically a combination of obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks, and depression. And that's what I had. Okay. And I got started on the nuclear spec scans because my youngest, my oldest son has Asperger's autism. All right. So mm -hmm. We took him in 2006. His brain was a mess. And here's what a lot of people don't get. You damage your brain. The number one threat to your brain and to your health, actually, are the people you hang around mm -hmm. because of the distress. And, and, and I will tell you, for the 21st century, we are woefully misinformed and undereducated when it comes to talking about distress. If you and I, like this morning, let's say that we've got technical problems getting on, that will give you distress. Right. Okay. Computer, your car won't start. Too much work. You're overworked. Mm -hmm. That will give you distress. But when you have distress from another human being, your body knows that your car or your workload isn't going to eat you, isn't going to mm -hmm. kill you. Um, that other human being might. 
and you're seeing this on the news today. The human animal is seven times more homicidal than any other mammal on the planet. Your biggest threat to your health are those other people because other people, bullies at work, release three times the amount of cortisol and adrenaline, which are distress chemicals, basically, when you overload them in your body, it'll kill you. It is your number one threat of heart disease. It is your number one threat of mental impairments. And and we're two years ago, the APA in 2020 said, we're at the breaking point. America is going crazy. And now we have passed that breaking point. We're broken. And so the whole book is all about how I improved my brain, how my son improved his brain, the neuroscience behind it. And if you look at my scan from 2008, it is a red blazing mess. If you look at it from August of 2020, it's about 85% cured, better. My son's brain with autism, his brain from 2006 when he was 12 years old to 2020 when he was 26 years old is about 80% better. And just make a long story short, he's able to function much better today. He actually graduated with honors from Ohio State, went on and got his master's degree in clinical psychology from Roosevelt University in Chicago with a 3.91 grade point average. And so the final book that is coming out is all about don't work in a toxic work environment. And if you have a toxic work environment where it is not safe from bullying, then you got to fix it. And you've got to create an environment where it is safe to be different. So that's sort of a, you see how all three books fit together. And I'm already traveling all over the country, all over the place, presenting on this Healing the Human Brain book, because on average, 75 to 80% of everybody sitting in the audience is on psychotropic medications. And the vast majority, they're not working. Right. So welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So now let's ask, let me start with the first book then. Yeah. which you said basically addresses people being able to accept each other, be able to be more, it's not the tolerance one, forgive me. Right, I'm right. trying to pull up the email with the um, the text no, in it's, it. It's the emotional intelligence and conflict resolution. Yeah, so with that one there, what is, I've read quite a bit of different emotional intelligence articles and books. There's a lot out there. What key features or what facts in your book is different than what a lot of other people are saying because like I said there are a lot out there yeah and I imagine with your background you tend to have more of a I think we discussed when we discussed on the phone earlier when we talked about or I think it was maybe in your webinar forgive me I don't remember but you mm -hmm. said anything that you're going to put out there you make sure you have evidence behind because of your lawyer background so yeah. what about that brings out the um, emotional intelligence? What do you do differently than everybody else is saying? Yeah, and and I think one of the things that I like to do, and I always did really, really well in school, and the reason being is I have the theory that i got to boil everything down to a pinpoint uh, reference point so that I can understand, mm -hmm. so that I can use it. And and in, in my practice for the last... 40 years, and as an in-house HR person, I've had to train employees. And I always worked for really cheap uh, employers who would never let me bring anybody in. I'd write all my materials, which at the time seemed like a curse, but it was a great blessing. And the one thing I will tell you, and there's a lot of communication, conflict resolution programs out there, and there's a lot of emotional intelligence stuff out there, 
And let me just say from the very beginning, I am a huge, huge fan of Daniel Goleman's book, books, plural. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Joseph Ledoux, neuroscientist. But their goal is, I think, a little different than mine. My goal is to change the way people live, the way that workplaces operate. And if you've got more than two or three points, two or three things to teach, they won't remember. Um, when I was researching other titles for the conflict resolution, I actually found a book that said the 17 steps of conflict resolution. Are you kidding me? Really? 17 <laughs> steps? 17 steps. And I'll tell you, uh, the human brain, the hippocampus, the short-term memory transmitter, at best, when you're calm, can hold maybe seven pieces of information. That's why telephone numbers have seven numbers. Right. Okay. So, so I like two or three things. So, Emotional intelligence, boil it down. Okay, can you control your emotions and ego? Now, there's other factors, but forget all those. When you are in the workplace, your number one threat to your success, to your happiness, is can you control your ego and emotion? Now, let's just freeze right there for a minute. How much you want to bet me right now that someone today in America is going to flush their whole life, their whole career, because they're going to lose it? And someone's going to record them mm -hmm. like some kind of protected class work. Okay. It, and you'll probably make, hey, if you're lucky, you'll make the evening news. Okay. Right. So there's all kinds of things. If you understand how the human brain works, you can control it. And part of the book, there's a lot of neurology in all of my books because the brain is what controls us. Mm -hmm. So can you control and picture a baseball diamond? If you want to put books one and two together, First base is emotional intelligence. And understand, 50 to 60% of the human brain is visual. So it's easy to picture a baseball diamond. Right. And it was really funny because I was doing this session by way of a, a, a podcast by Zoominar uh, for some employees in, in, uh, in, I think it was Germany. Some of them didn't know what baseball was. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got to remember, I'm not in America anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But first base, if you don't get to first base, nothing else matters. You got to control yourself. OK, and some mm -hmm. tricks for uh, being able to control your emotional intelligence is slow down and think your subconscious is very much alive. And sometimes I have to prove to people that they have a subconscious. And so I'll ask them if they ever sleep in the fetal position and people go, well, yeah. And I said, would you ever think where you got that idea? Yeah, we have memories that control our behavior from minus three months. So you, babies sure. are born, they, they, they are born with their emotional system and their fight or flight system. So they mm -hmm. wake, they, they come out, they're crying. They laugh right. like, so their emotions are in check. But we humans don't get our conscious memory, our hippocampus, which is our short-term memory transmitter. We don't get that till we're like three, three and a half years old. So all of those things that are in your, that you hear around you go mm -hmm. into your subconscious, your accent, the way you think. And actually babies are culturally bound to their society by the age of 11 months. Hmm. So if you and I were born in the South Pacific, where we were cannibals, we mm -hmm. would just raise up and uh, grow up and say, well, yeah, common sense is you don't bury grandpa, you eat him. That's just common sense. Okay, So kind of sick, but from our perspective. But, right. but if you can handle first base, and there's a lot of things, can you control your emotions and ego? Slow down and think. Okay, Understand when your gut goes off. When your gut goes off, that means you're going into fight or flight. Okay, so when that happens and you get short of breath, okay, that means your heart rate has hit 145 beats per minute. And that means shut up, shut up. 
you are going to blow your foot off. And actually, to get the blood back into your brain, to get the cortisol and adrenaline to subside, it will take one hour. Hmm. Don't stand there and try to gut it out and continue an argument. Go to the bathroom. Go somewhere because you are going to say or do something stupid and it's going to flush your life. And if you ever feel like you, your, your face is turning red and you are going into a complete rage, your heart rate hit 175 beats per minute. You can't talk to anybody for the rest of the day because you right. went into what University of North Carolina calls being temporarily autistic. And this okay. happens to us all. Yeah. So you see, they're very simple tricks. Slow down, five seconds, all those things. And if you can do that, well, then second base resolving the conflict is easy. EPR, empathic listening, parroting, and rewards, like I described. And the whole idea of addressing and resolving conflict, and this catches a lot of folks off guard, that is the only time you build trust with another human being. Mm -hmm. And you think about this. I always hear people, oh, I don't like conflict. Well, then no one in this world trusts. Right. Because the only time you and I, like you and I, let's say, hey, we get in this disagreement. And but I, I listen to what you say. I'm keeping myself calm. All right. And I EPR everything to you. And then I give you a reward if we disagree. And I say, I, I see where you're coming from on abortion. Mm -hmm. I see where you're coming from for while you're late to work every day. I, I see where blah, blah, blah. Right. And you have a right to that opinion, okay? So mm -hmm. you see, I made it safe. But here's what I think. That automatically gets you to third base. See, the, the, the conflict isn't really the issue. The issue is I'm going to prove to you that it is safe. Okay, so that's the first book. And emotional intelligence is the vast majority of the book because control your emotions and ego. Take those five seconds. And if you start to blow up, I don't want, you, I don't want to see you for an hour or the rest of the day. So very practical. And I've got to train this to, you know, groups of 10, 15 people to groups of 1,000. Right. So how do you get everybody to understand these things? And then management has to enforce them. Mm -hmm. And part of emotional intelligence is I'm not going to attack you to your face. That's fight, like Simon Cowell. Right. Okay. But I'm not, most people are gossipers. And so, you know, that's bullying. And so if you are talking about someone behind their back, you and I are going to sit down. I'm going to use my EPR skills and you're going to stop doing that. Right. And most people say, I'm doing it to be nice. No, that's not nice. You are slitting somebody's throat from ear to ear when they're not around. OK, mm -hmm. you're and this will date some of my things I'm saying and maybe for some of your your listeners. Um, you're your Aunt B from the old Andy Griffith show. Yeah, people say. Oh, she's so nice. She's so sweet. She's an evil harpy. She's a horrible human being. She never sits down and addresses the issue. Instead, she sits at the kitchen table with her old bitty friend, Clara, and talks about everybody behind her back. Okay, what I just described there, number one cause of divorce. Number one, fight or flight. Uh, people pay 100, 150 bucks an hour to come into marriage counseling to talk about what they should have been talking about at the kitchen table for the last five years. So... That's the emotional intelligence, control your ego and emotion. And if you can't do that, shut up and get out. And then EPR. That's that's the, 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 the joy of the first book. OK, so and then that was second base, you said. Is there a third base? Yeah, third base is when I've successfully got. Here's my logic. I was I was a love baseball and mm -hmm. people can kind of see it. it's kind of funny. I get people that tune into my webinars just to see my background. I'm really big. I was going to say you have plenty of baseball motif back there. Oh, yeah. Those are from the 75 and 76 Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. But 
I mean, here's my logic. I was never, I was a catcher, but I was never real big. Okay. I'm towering five foot six and things like this. So, you know, never really hit home runs or anything like this. But if I got on first base, I was fast. I, I mm-hmm. ran track. I was a 440 guy. I could, I could move. And when I wasn't catching, I would play center field because I could cover a lot of ground. Um, if I stole second, got to second, I promise you, within one or two pitches, I was on third base. Because to me, it just makes sense. And I understand this is at the, you know, not at the professional level. But um, I could get a lead off as far as the shortstop or the second baseman. Mm-hmm. And so I could bet get a third or a quarter there. And since I was a catcher, I knew all about box mm-hmm. as soon as that pitcher's ankle his heel crossed his ankle i was gone because he had to go home he couldn't go to third because if he went to third that's a balk i'm there anyway so i i always stole third base always. okay that was a sure thing and but you know getting to first base was quite a challenge okay that was tough <laughs> in the second that was a little more difficult so if i can control myself and you can see me i when i Resolve a conflict. I don't get up in somebody's face. I sit back. I slow down the way I talk. Because if I slow down, they'll be a little more. And then I get to second base, EPR, and I can show them it's safe to disagree. That builds trust. Third base, you're automatically on third base. And the person knows it's safe to disagree with you. Right. So it makes sense. And then are we going home with this or? Yeah, home is a little different. Home plate is actually where I've got everybody focused on the same goals. So the idea is you don't have everybody supporting your goals until there's trust. Yes. Right. There's nothing fuzzy and feel good about it. Uh, you, you, They have to know that it's safe to disagree with their supervisor, that it's safe to deg- disagree with management and each other. And if you want everybody to come home where everybody is focused on your goals, okay, well, there's some rules, okay? And Forbes magazine is a great, uh, publication that says, you know, in 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 a bad year, only four percent of the companies in this country hit their strategic goals. Mm. Only four percent. And in a good year, only one third will. Well, in our best years ever, that I means sixty-seven percent aren't. And what they say is number one is there's no trust in the organization, so people won't support your goal. Right. Okay? We're not addressing and resolving conflict. And the second reason is our goals are too complicated. You know, and and I'll think of it this way. Does everybody know why you're there? Okay. And, you know, what's your mission? What's your vision? And I'll ask CEOs, say, what is your mission statement? And they'll pull off this plaque off the wall and start to read it to me. I said, no, if you got to read it to me, who's going to remember it? (laughs) Right. Tell it to me. Okay. So some great mission statements. Disney, happiest place on earth. So everybody, so people got to want to support that and they got to know what it is. Uh, Nordstrom. I love Nordstrom as an example because it's right across the street here in Columbus from Walmart. Mm-hmm. Now you talk about two very different cultures, okay? Right. But you go into Nordstrom, they have one motto, they drill into their people. You treat everybody who came through that front door like they just spent $5,000. You see, things like that, those mean, I know them. And and then you, 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 publish, you publicize them. You tell people. Mm-hmm. And I'll go in to a management team, even executives, and I'll ask them, hey, what are your strategic goals for this year? They won't know. <laughs> well, if the executive team doesn't know, how do you expect the line workers to know? So you kind of right. see where everybody isn't 
on board. So yeah, that's actually in the first book, and that's uh, that's look. I think it's in the first book, looking at how you get everybody home. But most of the stuff I stop at third base and say, hey, you got to build trust because that's a major accomplishment right there. And if you build trust, then people start asking you, hey, what about this? What about this? They they want to see the company. They the biggest sign in the world that you don't have any trust in your organization is that people will not wear your logos. Right. Yeah. It's like Enron. You are not going to see anybody going out with an Enron jacket. Okay. Um, right. And I've got a lot of clients that are coming on board. We're trying to build trust. And I'll ask them, hey, how many people here have a company jacket or a company hat? If they laugh, you got big. And, and let's go back to base. Why do they have trouble? Because you probably have supervisors who were never trained to be supervisors. They were good technicians. We threw them in there and they are emotional children. Mm-hmm. You can't disagree with them, which, which actually in the books I talk about NASA. Okay. We knew what was wrong with Challenger in Columbia. We knew it was wrong. Technically, the people who spoke up got fired mm-hmm. and that's how you murder 14 mm-hmm. So take a book from their, you know, take a page from their book and, and, and so focus on that trust and really the other stuff is pretty easy. All right, so let's move to to the tolerance. Yeah, yeah. So that Um, one there, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, and you got to understand, too, um, I am not what you expect with a tolerance diversity trainer. I mean, first of all, I'm white, and and then I'm a white male, okay? Uh, But I take a very different look. I take a legal approach to tolerance, which is... You know, endorsed by the United States Supreme Court, a lot of the a lot of the circuit courts, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Tolerance means I'm not going to pick on you because you're different. Mm-hmm. Now we have racial issues in this country. We have religious issues in this country. Okay, but that's not all there is. And tolerance means you got to define terms. And there's my lawyer coming out. And and honestly, like you said, if I can't enter something into evidence in court, I don't use it in a book. I don't research it. I don't use it. Okay, but Mm-hmm. Tolerance means I'm not going to pick on you. I'm not going to bully you because you're different. And right now, I think you turn on the news every night. It looks like the hottest issue going in which we are literally attacking each other and literally attacking the federal government is over politics, mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans. And so when you isolate tolerance to just being about race, you're going to lose a lot of people. It is a big issue. I'm not going to pick on you because you're black. I'm not going to pick on you because you're white. I'm not going to pick on you because you're Muslim. I'm not going to pick on you because you have a stance on abortion. Okay. And, and it's just amazing to me when we talk about diversity, almost all the topics and all the presenters or presenters tend to be some sort of minority. Now that's fine. I want their perspective. I want that, but you ought to round things out. Diversity is not just the way you look. Actually, most of your diversity issues, you can't even see. It's the way you think. It's the way that you conduct yourself, okay? So I like to focus on, you know, uh, diversity of ideas. And that's what we're attacking each other about in the workplace. So tolerance means I'm not going to pick on you because you're different. And, and the whole book is about these different skills of tolerance, and that's implicit bias and all these other types of things. But it all boils down to if you want to have a trusting, safe environment, you got to do what's in the first book, EPR, emotional intelligence. And part of emotional intelligence is tolerance. And and that's on anything. And the question that I will ask people when I'm coaching them, whenever they screw it up, which means they are talking about someone behind their back or Mm -hmm. 
they are attacking somebody to their face. The first question I'll ask them, are you making it safe for that person to be here? Are you making it safe? And often I'll hear, well, I don't care. I feel very strongly about this. That's great. I appreciate someone's beliefs and I will defend your beliefs to the death, but I'm going to control how you behave. Now, here's where we get into a lot of issues and I get in a lot of trouble over this, but I think I'm right. Actually, legally, I know I'm right. Um, right. We tell people that they have to be accepting of other people's and other right. people's. All right, well, I'll tell you right now, my favorite example is I had an Amish-owned company where they had a young woman break away from the Amish and she broke away and turned Satan. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. It was like a Saturday Night Live skit where, you know, this woman dyed her hair black, she got her black eyeshadow, her black lipstick, everything, and she sent away for a Satanist Bible. Okay, <clears throat> now this is going to be... All right, so I got all these Amish ladies who are very fundamentalist, devout Christians, mm -hmm. and I'll ask my audience, I'll say, Do, does this woman have a right to choose her religion? Does she have a right to be Satanist? And they say, well, yeah, she's got that right. Okay. Do these Amish ladies have a right to their Christian beliefs? And they say, yeah, they do. Okay. What do you think's happening up there, though? Okay, so the the oh, just picture this. What what would be your impression? What's happening on the daily basis at the at this workplace? Um, personally, I I remember Southern Ohio well enough with the Amish that let's see here. Most likely, they shunned her. They didn't talk to her, and they did everything they could to get her to leave the company or just not come to be part of the organization whatsoever. That's right. So I go up. I drive all the way up to Holmes County and I sit down with this, these, these Amish ladies and, and I say, use my EPR skills from book one. I sit down and say, okay, what's happening? And they know why I'm there. Okay. So, right. uh, so they explain and they say, well, you know, we are really offended. We are Christian women and we have to work with a Satanist and our, our, uh, uh, our company is a Christian company. And God has always smiled on us. He's always blessed us. And he's not going to do that now that we got a Satanist here. She's got to go. Okay, so that's my empathic listening. And they see things very different than me because they're Amish ladies. And I'm a white mm -hmm. Anglo-Saxon Protestant 55-year-old guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I say, okay, let me make sure I got this. You're telling me that you are really offended by this because you're good Christian women. And you shouldn't have to put up with that every day. Is that right? They say, yeah, that's right. I said, okay. And you also... Say you're a Christian company, and w by letting a Satanist in here, God isn't going to smile on you anymore, and it's going to hurt your company. And they say, yeah, you got it. I said, okay. So we're done with the E and the P. If they'd have disagreed with me, I'd have said, okay, tell me again. So now i got to give them a reward. And I just love this. If you agree with people, they think you're great. So I, I say, okay. If, if, if I say, you know, you're right. We should go get the wood and burn her now. Right? We should just, you know, torture her right now. They'd have thought I was great, but I'm right. not going to say that. So I'm going to disagree. So I got him a reward. I got to reward their opinion. I say, I see where you're coming from, and you have every right to believe that. You have every right, because you do have that right. Mm -hmm. You don't order. If I order these people to be accepting, now think of the legality here. I tell them, you have to be accepting of Satan. You have to be accepting of her belief. I got a real legal issue here. Mm -hmm. okay. Got a real problem. Uh, most diversity people don't really think of it that way. But I can tell you right now, if I ever have a relative and you ordered them to be accepting of a certain religion, you're going to hear from me and you're going to stop doing it. I promise mm -hmm. you. OK. Um, instead, I say you have a right to those beliefs. I'm never going to tell you what to believe. But let me ask you, are you making and here's the tolerance. Are you making it safe 
for her to be here. And they were very honest. They're afraid of hell. So they're going to be very honest. And they said, I don't care. We want her out of here. We don't want it safe. Well, I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I got to tell you how to behave. This has to stop because you understand in Ohio at that time, Mm -hmm. if you illegally harass somebody and Satanism is a religion, which was news to them. Satanism is a religion. She can sue this company and she'll win. Mm -hmm. And she can sue you personally because she's recorded all the things that you've done to her and said to her. So I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. You believe what you want to believe, but I'm going to control how you behave. And that's got to stop. And we had a really great discussion of that because they could see it was safe to open up to me. And one of the ladies said, well, yeah, but she's she's going to go to hell. She's going to burn in hell. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what she's shooting for. That's the goal. Okay, so and it was really funny. We met for like two hours and I said, you believe what, you, what would Jesus do? You know, so uh, when they stopped harassing her and stopped shunning her, she left. She was just doing that to get a rile out. Right. And here's, here's one of the important points. If I would have ordered them to be accepting, they would have bristled. Mm-hmm. They would have just fought back. That's what people do. It's like hitting a punching bag. You hit the punching bag, it'll bounce back at you. Okay. You demand tolerance. You coach people and help them get better. And I believe in coaching once, coaching twice, written warning. You do it again, you're fired. And yep. that is gossiping and attacking. But you build acceptance. You don't order anyone to be accepting. And there's there's actually a guy out there. He's a great guy to Google, Frank Mink, M-E-E-I-N-K. And he was actually this, the subject of American History X, the movie, uh, hardcore neo-Nazi. And he actually turned all of his beliefs around because a Jewish business owner gave him a chance and got to know him to the point that now Frank quit being a Nazi and he is one of the top uh, tolerance speakers in this country. Hmm. So you see, that's, we've got a lot of it back ass words. You don't order anybody to believe what you believe. Okay. I have to present this every so often to neo-Nazis. I mean, I live in Ohio. We rank eighth in the number of haters in our state, in this country. We've got more than Alabama and I will have to go in and train employees in tolerance and I found that as long as I'm not telling the Klan and neo-Nazis and other hate group folks, as long as I'm not telling them what to believe, they're good. Mm-hmm. I got to tell them how to behave. And that means on Facebook. That is all the second book. It's all those types of things. Tolerance. I'm not going to pick a very simple message, but one that we aren't doing in today's world. All my books are 180 degrees opposite of what you're seeing happening in America right now which is where we get the third book, because if you, I promise you right now, having somebody telling you somebody who actually had raging post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. if you don't do what's in those first two books, you will go crazy. That's how the brain works. And so if you are an intolerant person, you are feeding cortisol and adrenaline in your brain more and more and more every day. And I'll tell you right now, one of the causes of Alzheimer's is cortisol. All right. Yeah, you you're just you're just asking. So, so let's move to the third book that's coming out then. Yeah. Because I believe that you did a, a Zoominar or whatever that was three and a half hours long. Oh, yeah. And I even watched it. And like I think I told you, normally I wouldn't watch something three and a half hours long. Yeah, me neither. But <laughs> it actually did catch my attention enough discussing the different brain, the brain functions, all these things. Yeah. And... I know that just from like my personal experience, I've had 
a toxic boss or been in a toxic work environment where like the boss hated the fact of I had a family and just went off and made my life hard at the company because of that. Yeah. And I realized I was getting stress, I was getting headaches and all these things. Yeah. And it just I dreaded going into work. So I know that those environments have an effect, like you said, who you're around will affect how you are. Okay. Can you go into your book a bit about more about these type of environments, these type of things that people need to avoid? Yeah, yeah. And this one actually it's kind of funny. Um I did a free Zoominar a webinar that was three and a half hours long and mm-hmm. I didn't even cover everything uh, because there's so much stuff to look at, but you hit it right on the head and let's just go to, and again, I like to boil everything down to a pinpoint. So people right. can, your number one health threat is, are the toxic people you hang around. And if you're a toxic person, that means you have a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. That is not, it is not normal for what your boss was saying and, and, and bullying people all the time. Going from zero to 60 with your temper regularly, that is not normal. Right. It's a damaged brain. And and understand, let's go back, how damaged are we? Uh, 75% of Americans say that they work in that environment that you just described. Okay, so, so what's that mean? It means every day they are raging massive amounts of adrenaline and cortisol through their body, just like gasoline. Now, a little Mm -hmm. bit of adrenaline and cortisol is like riding a a roller coaster. It's great. It's fun. But what if, and that's only lasting two, three minutes. But what if you were on a roller coaster for two days? It would kill you. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is what is happening. And I've been in that situation. And actually that's in my childhood and uh, different employers. And actually I was stupid enough out of law school to go to work for a big law firm. Oh, my gosh, you couldn't sling a dead cat without hitting a mental disorder uh, in these big law firms. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like I was at the corner of, you know, this building at the corner of Maine and hell. Um, And and let me tell you, too, I've worked in, you know, I worked at Kaiser Aluminum to earn money for my graduate degree, Owens Corning Fiberglass to pay for my undergrad. Oh, I'll go back and work in a factory any day rather than go work at any of these big law firms. Mm. Oh, my God. Uh, and actually, to tell you right now, we set a record last year for attorneys killing themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I think last year, depending on which survey you looked at, I think doctors were like number one. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. So I don't care how smart you are. I don't care. Think about this. Navy SEALs. I mean, if you want to see something that is just amazing, just Google what Navy SEALs have to go through to become a Navy SEAL. Oh, my gosh. It is ridiculous uh stress but they're coming home from the war or 20-year war and they're killing them mm-hmm. we've actually got more soldiers killing themselves than got killed in the war so mm-hmm. neurology and this discussion we're going to have now and in the th- uh third book we couldn't have had this discussion 20 years ago we did not know. it's okay. like a fight or flight system your fight mm-hmm. or flight system uh two little balls about the size of your thumbnail sit above your ears behind your eyeballs um Dr. Joseph Ledoux discovered those, one of my heroes, in 1992. Well, it took another eight, nine, ten years to figure out what they do, really, the, the full extent of it. And we're still learning more. All of your fight or flight comes from those amygdalas. So all this stuff we're learning today. So let's look and see what happens. When, when, when you're, like we said, when we got to start here, when your car won't start, uh, when your dog wets on the floor, when, you know, all these things that cause you stress, finance, all those types of things. 
that will release cortisol and adrenaline in your body and that will hurt you. Mm-hmm. But when you are bullied by a coworker or a boss, some emotional child who cannot control their emotions and ego, that releases three times, okay, uh, the cortisol and adrenaline. Uh, that's not like having one dog pee on your carpet. That's like having three. That's like not that your car won't start. None of your cars. I mean, see how much exponentially it is. So, right. and and people relate to this. I mean, yeah, I can talk for three and a half. Actually, I've done sessions on this for a full day, in which we talk about burnout and cardiovascular disease. And I can tell you, just because of the topic, and that eighty or ninety, well, one hundred percent of the people in the audience are dealing with this. Mm-hmm. If it isn't them, it is someone in their family. I mean, like autism. Okay, uh, they we were told that my son probably would need a special high school. He probably won't be mainstreamed. Well, for my wife and I, that goes through us like a knife. And then they said, then this $400 an hour psychiatrist told us, well, he probably won't go to college either. So you got to get prepared for that, you know? And, and we're like, oh my gosh. And you can't rewire the brain. That's just the way he's born. Now, this was all at the turn of the century, like mm-hmm. 2001, 2002. And then I started doing my own research and I found out they were wrong. The neuroscientists, the neuroscientists for, throughout history have always been 20 to 40 years ahead of the medical practice. Always. Louis Pasteur was vilified. Okay. Actually, be, you go back before that, there's a guy named Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. It's called the Semmelweis effect. He figured out that doctors were killing their patients because they didn't wash their hands mm-hmm. after they were doing autopsies and went and delivered babies. Right. So, he had the audacity to actually suggest that doctors wash their hands before they deliver babies. Well, they basically ran him out of the medical profession. He went insane. They put him in a mental institute and he died where a doctor gave him an injection and that doctor didn't wash his hands. So Dr. Semmelweis got blood poisoning and died. Okay. So you kind of see that's where I'm coming from. If I Mm want to help my son, and then later help myself, I need to see what the neuroscientists are doing. So right. I spent years researching what happens. How do you rewire the human brain? And so if you sort of summarize all this, if you work in a toxic work environment and that work environment will not improve, okay? 80% of all of the trips to the doctor in this country are distress related. It's worse than smoking. Worse, it's 40% worse than smoking. Smoking has a mortality rate. If you smoke, you've increased your chance of premature death by 60%. So it has a mortality rate of 1.6. Mm-hmm. If you work with a bully, you, um, uh, you have a mortality factor at two. You double your chance of premature death. And I'll tell you, if somebody starts, somebody starts uh, smoking in a workplace, boy, we turn fire extinguishers on them. You know, mm-hmm. people throw water on them. Oh, we would never allow that. Right. We got bullies running around destroying us. And mm-hmm. so so the whole book is about my story, Michael's story. Then we move into how does your brain actually work? And this is from the latest neuroscience research from, you know, uh, Dr. Joseph Ledoux, uh, Stanford University, Harvard, UCLA, uh, Cambridge, all over the world. Actually, a re- the, the, the the bibliographies of this book was like 180 pages for the or 190 pages for the book. And I had 450 citations. So I had to cut that down because they just kind of got in the way. But this is heavily researched. And if I can't enter something into evidence, I don't talk about it. So so then I take people through and I show, look, here's my brain. Here's the neuroscience behind it. Here's my son's brain, who is my co-author, by the way, Michael. 
um, and you can cure your brain. Mm-hmm. You can, and I'm not anti-medication. Okay, what I'm saying is, um, if you've been uh, on medications for years and they're not working, you know, why would you want to stay on medications or as many medications? Why don't you do the things we're talking about in this book and improve your brain, if not cure it? And in my right. particular case, I had obsessive compulsive disorder really bad. And in my follow-up brain scan, uh, that area of the brain is completely cured. Hmm. It's completely cured. So it, they all fit together because you got those, you know, some people are born with mental disorders. Okay. Like my son, a lot of folks with autism. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I developed it because of what I subjected my brain to because I'm just going to gut it out. Um, right. Don't do that. And instead... Change your lifestyle. Rule number one, get as many jackasses out of your life as humanly possible. And and I'll tell you, if you're working in a toxic environment and if they will not change the environment, get another job. It's not worth Alzheimer's. It's not worth depression. It's not worth a bullet through the head. Right. You kind of see why the CDC says right now that we are in a national crisis for suicide? I do. So let me do this. I don't want to take up your whole day because... As you said, you spend an entire day just discussing yeah. this one topic. So, yeah, what I'm gonna do is people can I know on your website there's the Zoominar that you have there. I think for the three hour um, discussion you had. Plus, there's more information. I have your your profile on authorblurb.com mm-hmm. where people can find your links, find information about you, things like that. Where else besides authorblurb.com do you prefer people to find you, to reach out to you, to uh, get more information, anything like that? Yeah, the absolute best place to go to to learn about my books, I'm still going to be posting stuff on the Heal the Human Brain book because I just sent it off to my publisher this week. But okay. it's coming, but I've got, there's a whole section under free resources that are stress in the human brain videos, okay? Yeah. And, um... And so, you know, I encourage people to go and look at those, but there's all kinds of things on the the free resources about building a trusting environment, about um, tolerance. Uh, there's free lunch and learns. Actually, if you go to my website, scottwarrick.com, and that's S-C-O-T-T-W-A-R-R-I-C-K, uh, I've got a whole series of free lunch and learns the first Thursday of every month for the rest of this year on brain health. They're free okay. to anybody. All they got to do is just sign up and I will send them the Zoom link. And they're at noon every Thursday between now through December. And okay. we're going to talk about all the stuff you and I are going to be talking about. And mm-hmm. I've already got probably about 700 people signed up because um, I think this final book is going to be on fire because everybody you know is dealing with something. And people, when you tell them you're a former PTSD person, a PTSD survivor, that your son had autism, people then tend to open up with the problems that they're dealing with. And that is the absolute best way in the world to overcome this stigma. Right. Oh, I agree. So I want to say thank you for coming on. Mm. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else to hear. But for you and I, we'll talk a little bit more afterwards. So if you can hold on for me for just a second, I would be quite appreciative. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. So you listened to us talk. Hopefully, I was right and you found it as interesting as I enjoyed it. Because, like I said, tons of information. Very interesting person to listen to. Definitely not a dull moment in the conversation. If I seem a little off, I do apologize. I was recovering from some kind of illness. I don't know what it was for sure, but 
I just wasn't feeling at the top of my game, and I do apologize if it comes across that way. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you come back for more shows and tell people about it. Rate me, share it. The real truth is, is the way these podcasts get discovered is by you. The people listening, telling other people. So share it, let people know that you like it. And the more you do so, you can say, hey, look, that author was fantastic. Or I just like listening to that guy's voice. He's not as annoying as I thought. Either way, I do appreciate it. I also appreciate you when you go to authorblurb.com and look up all these profiles, the articles, even listen to some of the other shows and enjoy as much as I'm putting out for you. So with that, thank you as always. I hope you enjoy everything I'm doing. I hope you enjoyed this show and I hope you enjoy all the shows that are coming up. So I'll keep trying to improve. I'll keep trying to get you more and I'll keep trying to get you some good authors that you're going to enjoy. So thank you and you have a good day.